Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good morning, Living Hope. Good to see everybody this morning. I was just rescued from a dangerous situation. I got my mask ta- caught in my microphone. Deliverance is in the house. Grab my phone so I have a watch to look at, so I know what time it is. Somebody said, what does it mean when a preacher looks at his watch? Not one single thing, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Good to see everybody this morning. Where did all that crowd go? Must be donuts on sale somewhere. Amen. It's good to see everybody. Uh, I do want to get right into the Word this morning. I'm going to continue the series that I have been teaching. I think it's been uh, a little bit since I've taught a, a good series, and this is the third lesson on the Beatitudes. Anybody enjoying this? Okay, and I made me a promise, not you a promise, I made me a promise that I would not be in a hurry. I want to take my time and deal with this. I honestly could um, probably spend three months just on, if you really wanted to get some technicalities of the word, on the Beatitudes. So tell your neighbor, how, how's your attitude be? Jesus, Jesus was concerned with our attitude, and he specifically in his first sermon, in what is considered to be the greatest sermon ever preached, dealt with the attitude of man. So let's read from Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read um, down through verse uh, 9, I think, or I'm sorry, verse 10, and, uh, and then we'll get back into the lesson. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and seeing the multitudes... He, speaking of Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing this morning. I do want to say it's uh, an honor to have my friend, Stephanie's dad, that would be Brother Jeremy's father-in-law, Mike Weed, Again, this morning, it's been a little bit since we've seen Mike, so everybody wave at Mike and make him feel really uncomfortable. (laughs) So, um, I told you this, that every beatitude presents the followers of Jesus with a challenge and a promise. And uh, while we really like the promise, sometimes the challenge is, well, it's a challenge, right? Uh, The Greek scholar Spiros Zohedites said that this word translated blessed in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew means happy or blessed, but it also expresses the idea of completion. 
And so we looked in the, in the Bible, in the book of Timothy, we found that the Scripture, in Scripture, the terms maturity and completion are synonymous ideas. We talk about someone becoming mature, it means they're becoming a complete person. Hopefully, when your children were little, little you taught them some things to help them become mature. This is what Jesus is doing with the church. How many of you ever corrected a child with a bad attitude? How many of you ever were corrected with a, for having a bad attitude? My mom was, as they say, handy. <laughs> My mother was married to a guy who was a black belt in karate, and he said to me, your mom has the fastest hands of any woman I've ever met in my life. And I said, I know. I, I, she's pretty handy. She, you, you didn't talk back to her. She wasn't that kind of person. And if you did, you made sure there was some space, because at a certain age, I knew she couldn't outrun me, but she was not very forgetful. But the reality is that becoming mature or becoming the complete person that not that you want to be, but that God wants you to be, to be is hard work, right? Uh, I am X number of years old, equal to the speed limit uh, in some states and some places, and I, I'm still not as mature as I need to be in some areas. I'm still not the complete person that the Lord wants me to be. But we understand this from our previous two weeks of study that being mature or being complete in God begins with having or possessing and maintaining a right attitude. But we know from just living in this humanity, that's one of the most difficult things that we can do. Having a, main, uh, a right attitude is difficult. It's not difficult all the time, but keeping it all the time is, right? Because of situations. And so in life, we achieve maturity when we have the right perspective, a correct perspective, and, and often that perspective leads over into our attitude. And so if you have an incorrect perspective, that can and often does lead to a bad attitude. And that attitude, uh, it, it leads us to places of failure, places of pain, and often, how many of you ever gotten into one of those devastating situations? And you knew, there's some honest folk in the house, and you knew you got there because it was your own fault, right? And, and so that, that's really what it is. You know, we, I, I want to make sure that I've got the right perspective about money because it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be shown in my behavior. It's going to be seen in my, and how I, how, I, how I use money, right? But I've got to have the right perspective about marriage. How many of you know that, that the world doesn't have the same perspective on marriage that most of us do, right? How about morality? That's a perspective issue, right? We don't all in this room, even as believers in Jesus Christ, share the same perspective on morality, and we're going to talk some about that today. But these beatitudes, and, and I'm, I'm trying to do a recap here, are about having that right attitude or that correct perspective about three specific things, about God, about myself, and about others. And that, that's difficult, because sometimes I got the right perspective about God, but I got the wrong perspective of me. Sometimes I got the right attitude about others, but I got the wrong attitude about me. And that's leading, the, the, if, if our entire world could grasp the totality of these beatitudes, we would not be going through what we're going through as a world today. Right? This wouldn't be. And, and, and you know, the, the, the truth is, what is the old, the old adage? Those that, 
those that do can and those that can't teach. So I'm teaching because I haven't got all this down yet. I, is that fair? Right? So don't judge me because I'm teaching it. I'm just teaching you what's in the Word. I haven't got it all down yet, but I am working on it. And so Jesus, in this greatest sermon, he preached about these eight interrelated qualities. No one attitude, no one single character trait stands alone, but they are progressive, each one building upon the next. And so I told you, and I'm going to repeat this many times because I want you to see the paradox, that the Beatitudes are very paradoxical. They, in many ways, are perspectives that are in complete opposition of our current world's view. And that's difficult. That's hard because we live in this world. We interact in this world. And to possess a an attitude or even a perspective that is in complete opposition to the world that you live in is difficult. It's not always difficult to have it, but it is very difficult to maintain it. And that's what God wants us to do. And so contrary to popular opinion, it does matter how you think. And it does matter how you feel about certain things. As the people of God, it's important that we share God's opinion and that we're in the same position as God is on certain things. Now, I, I can tell you, politically, it doesn't matter because I have read that word inside and out, back to front, and I haven't seen the political view of God yet. All I know is that he sets them up and he takes them down. So it doesn't matter, right? And so I'm not talking about po politics or even pizza. What I'm talking about is I need to share God's opinion of me right? I need to understand the Lord's position on me, and, and that naturally will result in my blessing and my maturity. But when I also share his opinion of you, I'm going to get the same result. Because if I can have this right attitude, it's going to bring blessing in my life. When I share his opinion of him, I'm talking about the Lord, right? When I get the same perspective of God that God has of himself, you get the idea, right? Then that's going to bring blessing into my life. But what I find over and over and over again is that good people that really, I believe, love God oftentimes have a skewed perspective about God. That's why he gave us his word, right? So we could see who he really is. And so we've looked at some of these. And so these perspectives, they, we test them and we realize that there are truths related to them. So the first one we talked about was that there are those that are poor in spirit. Not necessarily they have a, a poor spirit or a bad attitude, but they're poor in spirit. Those who feel a, a deep sense of spiritual destitution. They comprehend that they have nothing to offer God. They are not necessarily poor in material things, but they're poor in spirit. They're, they're like that publican that Jesus described in the parables who would not even, according to the Bible, is so much as lift up his eyes to look to heaven, but he would smite or smote his chest and say, and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He had a, a perspective of himself that said he that showed that he was he was poor in spirit. And so a different rendering from the Beatitudes is this, this uh, idea of happiness is that untethered soul that, the, that, is, that is truly the most alive soul. And so when we start talking about our being poor in spirit or being spiritually destitute, it, it brings this idea of trust and reliance that we can't do anything of ourselves. That We understand that, but sometimes our attitude doesn't portray that. I understand that I can't save myself. You understand you can't save yourself. Hopefully that's why you come to church, so you can hear what the Word of God says about being saved and going to heaven, right? But the reality is we don't always live that way. 
We don't always live like we can't save ourselves because we really are into self-preservation. And so that poor spirit is the one that we talked about that is such a critical thing. They have to be poor in spirit. The second one we talked about are blessed are those that mourn. And this blessing is not just on anyone who mourns. And certainly we know that our God is a comforter to anyone who mourns. But specifically, this particular beatitude was for those that mourn in reference to sin. The writer in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, talks about godly sorrow, right? He said, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. He said, the, the, the sorrow of the world worketh or brings death. I, I told you in reference to this, the, the talking about the blessed are those that mourners, happy are the sad. Listen, our world loves to celebrate sin. Amen. Right? I, you know? I, I get it, you know, if I had, uh, Brother Jeremy, if I had planned to go to hell, I want to go with a, bland, with a band playing and lots of loud music, I, okay? You know, I want to be all in for whichever course I choose. I don't want to go halfway. I, I want to be fully in, and, and so happy or the sad. This, this, this attitude bears a double sorrow. It's not just sorrow and remorse for our sin, but it's also sorrow and remorse for their sin or for the sin of the world. It, 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 the effects and the consequences of sin on the world, we need to understand that God's perspective is he hates all sin. In humanity, we categorize big sin, little sin, big sin, little sin. Well, not even sure it's a sin, right? We, we, we put it into these categories, and, and we begin to put them that way. But God has, he, he, listen, we need to understand that when something goes on in our world the, it, and, and we don't agree with it, what happens? Our natural reaction is we get angry. Or we're happy if we agree with it. Or one of those emotions comes in. But God is constant. He hates sin. And so the attitude that he has, it grieves God. How many of you have read the book of Genesis when, when Noah, right, God, God said it, that it grieved him, he repented him, that he had made man on the earth. God looked down on the sin of humanity. Six chapters into the Bible, God looks at humanity and says, I'm grieved. And so he wants that attitude, that's the right attitude for the people of God, that all sin, my sin, your sin, any sin, shouldn't be something that angers me or makes me happy or makes me sad but it should be something that I grieve about, something that I mourn over. Why? Because all sin is negative and destructive to the world. So this attitude, right, this, this perspective that I have to share with God. The third one, quickly trying to go through these, is blessed are the meek, the humble of spirit. The meek would rather suffer injury than inflict it. Not always been my motto. Any, any uh, y'all going to leave me out here alone, Right? Okay, but the meek live live life not out of uh, not out of weakness, but out of humility. Moses, that meekest man on the earth, from from my perspective, I shared with you last week. Moses was not weak as we would define weakness, but when he was personally attacked, he did not react, but allowed the Lord to fight for him. That, that's a tough place to be in, right? Because when I when I'm personally attacked, I take that personal. Hello. That's so deep, isn't it, right? And, and, and you don't, right? And so uh, in, in order to, to, be a, to have that meek attitude, we've got to live a life that's void of pride and arrogance. But that's always much easier said than done. 
But it is possible when we have the right attitude about God, about self, and about others. And so those three things were the roots that we talked about of a blessed life, the, the, the life that, that is poor in spirit, that mourns over sin, that attitude of meekness that does not think too highly of themselves. And then we, we really got into blessed are the hungry and thirsty. And it's not just a blessing to those that don't have enough. This blessing is upon those that are hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God rather than the righteousness of humanity or man. They are, I told you, they are actively looking. They're searching for the only righteousness that will meet their spiritual poverty, right? And so this attitude attitude was exemplified by a desire to be in the presence of God. David said, I desired, I wanted to be in the presence of God. And we talked about this. We talked about how it's important how you come. Right? And our world has such a casual attitude towards God in many respects. But as the people of God, we should never have a casual attitude toward God. So this morning, very quickly, I want to get into the fifth challenge and uh, talk about this one. And we'll see how far we get because I promised you that I wouldn't be in a, in a hurry. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the merciful. So the fifth challenge that we face as humanity is the challenge to have mercy. And so what, what I find in, in, in my life is that, that I'm not as quick to forgive as I am to accept forgiveness. I, I'm certain that's true of you. And so uh, this, this is just my opinion, but I believe that this, maybe it just speaks to me more, is one of the more important beatitudes of Jesus. Why, why is that? Why is mercy so important to us? Why? Because there is nowhere in life... All right, that, that we as humanity imitate God more than when we show someone else mercy. That, that, that's a true statement, and that's a, that's a powerful statement. If you're taking notes, you should write that one down. Nowhere in life do we imitate God more than when we show someone else mercy. So, so what is mercy? You understand this, we understand this, but mercy is withholding punishment that is deserved, right? And so mercy, we, when we're, we're like God, we, we withhold some terrible thing that we could inflict on someone, but we choose not to. And so my definition of this, the, the Brother Roberts uh, abridged edition, would be that mercy is always a choice. Well, I just couldn't help myself. Probably not true. You didn't want to help yourself like, like I didn't want to help myself. I just had to give them peace of my mind. Be careful, you're going to run out of pieces. But mercy is always a choice, right? And it's never easy to have mercy, but I find it easier to get mercy or to want mercy or to, to accept mercy when I need it. And so I, I found out very, very early on in this Christian life that, that I want to be a person of mercy. I want to have mercy because I know that sooner rather than later, I'm going to need some mercy. And, and the principle, the principle in scripture is that in order to get mercy, you've got to give mercy. And, and so I, I like that, right? And so we understand that our God is defined by and known for his mercy, right? Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not, right? And so what are you you talking about? I'm talking about this. The, The church, the people of God should be defined by and known for our mercy just as God is defined for and known for 
His mercy, right? And, and so as an individual, I, I, I want to be known for my mercy. I know some people that are proud that they're hard. That's just not me, just how I am, right? And they're proud of that. That's not the attitude that the citizens of heaven possess. And so what, what is it? It's a sign of immaturity and not a sign of maturity. And, and so what, what are you talking about? The church, the church can't be known for its mercy until the people of the church are known for their mercy, right? And so here's, here's, here's the perspective, the 40-foot the view when we back up. We've got to realize that we are actively being shown mercy each and every day, every moment of every day, every hour that I live, I am a partaker of the undeserved mercy of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? How does that kind of flesh out in my thinking? Every blessing that I enjoy in life is a proof of God's mercy to my life. That, that principle that you have to have mercy in order to receive it is very, very important for us. Here's what, if you were to flip over to Matthew chapter 6 in the next chapter, that was the second part of Jesus' sermon, the night service, uh, talking about prayer. He said, for if you forgive men, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's great, right? But if you don't forgive men, neither will the Father forgive you. You. Now that's a that's a thread that is seen woven all throughout scripture. You do, you will, you don't, you can't. It's pretty, it's really not that hard. And so Jesus stressed this characteristic on several occasions that as the people of God, we've got to have mercy. Well, well I, I, I just find it so hard to show mercy. Wait a minute. You need to step back and, and read what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He said this in the second half of that verse. He said, while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed mercy to us. And so what I'm trying to explain to us this morning is that mercy is a true sign of maturity. Mercy is compassion and, and, and kindness that you show to someone when you have the power to punish them or harm them. So, well, I, I don't have no power, right? But no, no. Yeah, yeah you, you do. You possess, you possess that power all the time because you show mercy when you don't say everything that you think. I, I show mercy when I don't tell everyone everything that I'm feeling, Right? So, you know, I, I don't want to be known as the hammer, that last guy that has to come in and get that last shot, right? That, that's cruelty. And, and even though we could, mercy is not doing it, even though I could, even if it's deserved, right? The, the story was told by a, a bishop one time about they were driving to a conference and he had a, a station wagon. I think it was probably in the 80s. And uh, he had, I think there was five or six kids and and that he'd promised the children that once they got to their destination, he would give them all $20 to spend while they were at this. It was a church conference, and they were going to go have a great time. I think it was general conference, and, and he, he, talked, he told this story. He said, we're driving along, and, and, and said, okay, the kids, you know how kids will be in a car, and they're snipping and fighting and tacking one another. And, uh, and he, he finally, he, he said, okay, that's enough. All right, every time you say something negative to a, a brother or a sister, it's going to cost you a quarter. And uh, said so one, one of the girls immediately made herself the scribe and began to take count and keep track of 
how many quarters and said somewhere, you know, they were crossing out, they were driving all the way across country, said they're probably somewhere out in the Midwest. And one of the little girls said something to one of the little boys and said, that cost me a 25 cents and it was money well spent. <laughs> and sometimes that's how we feel. And he said, by the time they got to their destination, that every one of those kids owed him money. And sometimes that's, that's how we feel, but the truth is that when we hold back and we don't say everything that comes to mind, we're showing mercy. And mercy is this, it's an attitude, it's a, it's a life perspective that is so difficult. I, I want you, I don't want you to hammer me for some indiscretion. I don't want you to beat me down for something that I've said or done or should have said or should have done or didn't do. Uh, I don't know, I don't want you to, to be the hammer in my life. But I, at the same time, I, I, sometimes that, that self-righteous spirit rears up in every one of us and we go, well, what about, Hello? I've heard that that's more gender-related, that sometimes we, talk, we tease the ladies and say that they, 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 they don't forget very well, but that's not always the truth because men are just as bad. Some of you men are not even looking at me right now. <laughs> you like when I pick on the ladies, but right? But that, that's mercy, and that's an, that's an attitude. It's a life perspective, but how can I injure you when God is having mercy on me? Right? How can... You know, God's not, I appreciate the word that, that convicts me, that corrects me, because God never approaches us from condemnation. He approaches us from conviction. And conviction, condemnation says you're, you're horrible, you, you're, you're nothing, you can't do anything. But con conviction says, come on, let's get together and make this right. Come now and let us reason together, right? That's, that's the convicting power of the Spirit of God. And I appreciate the man of God who preaches the word straight into my life. That's not unmerciful. That's merciful. That's the mercy of God that brings correction into, into your life. But it's not my job to correct everybody. It's not your job to correct everybody. Some people, that's a mission in life. Be nice, Brother Roberts. Okay. But to the Jews, this, this idea of mercy would have been defined by two specific thoughts. Well, the first one was the pardon of injury. The second one was the practice of giving money to the handicapped. They gave money to the blind, the lame, or the needy, and they called it almsgiving. And so that was the extent of mercy. That was it. You gave money to, to those that were injured, or you gave money to those that were handicapped, and that was it. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And so Jesus shows us what it means to be merciful. Why? Because in his ministry, he went about healing the sick, and he welcomed the stranger, and he pardoned those that persecuted and even those that killed him. And so Jesus taught mercy from a different perspective. He taught us that mercy can be attributed to that sense of having a pain of heart. Now, we talked about some of this. When it comes to mourning, I, I don't want to mourn, right? Anybody? I, I don't want to mourn over anything. I want to be happy. I don't, want to, I don't want to mourn. But the reality is I live in a sinful world and I have a sinful nature. Even though I'm filled with God's Spirit, I, I, I'm a sinner saved by grace, right? And so th that, that's the reality. Even though I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to look at my sin or deal with my sin, I've got to have that mournful attitude. The same thing about mercy I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you're going through something, but from my humanity, I don't always want to share in that. 
transparent, right? For Brother Roberts. Y'all pick on me if you want to. But the reality is true mercy is something that grabs and tugs at your heart so much that you have no choice but to get involved. This, this This is going to be tough teaching here this morning. This is going to be difficult, right? Anybody ever seen those commercials on TV or the ASPCA, right? For just 22 cents a day. They're horrible. My, my wife's like, change the channel. Turn that thing off. I mean, oh my goodness. I look over at my dog, you know. He's, he's on the couch. He's eating better than most people, you know. I mean, like, the dude has got like an endless supply of biscuits. He, he's completely entertained all the time. And these poor suffering animals, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to share that pain. I feel sorry for that, but that's not my job to rescue every animal, right? But so here's the point. Jesus explained this, that mercy is getting involved in showing love, showing forgiveness, showing grace, having compassion on those. And sometimes if we're not careful, that's a difficult thing. Here's how John would write about it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. He said, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth a brother in need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, how does the love of God dwell? You got money, you got something, and you see somebody in need, and you don't give to them. How does the love of God even live in you? That's a great scripture, but I, I'd rather flip the page and go over to chapter 4. There's more better stuff that I like. See, attitude is always, and I've told you this multiple times about the attitudes, attitude is always portrayed in behavior. Commentator Richard Linsky, writer, said this. He said, the Greek noun, elios, which is translated mercy in the Bible, always deals with what we see in, in terms of pain, misery, distress, and it's a direct result of sin. But the Greek word charis, which is translated grace, deals with the sin and the guilt. And so he says that there's a difference between grace and mercy. We understand this. Mercy extends relief while grace offers pardon. Mercy deals with the cure. Mercy helps while grace cleanses and reinstates. Now, one of my favorite verses in, in the Scripture is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where the writer says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of the need. Now, I've always loved the wording here, right? Because mercy is obtainable. It's not earnable. It's not something you can get. It's just, it's just when you need some, you go get some. That's not, okay. I don't care. If, you don't, if, that, if that doesn't excite you, nothing about Christianity ever will. Here is mercy. Here is this thing that's going to deal with the cure, that's going to help, that's going to extend relief, that's going to offer pardon and all this stuff. But when I need some, according to the Word of God, I can come to the throne of grace and I can obtain it or I can just get some. If you begin to, to look into the wording on that word obtain in the Greek, it talks about getting, acquiring, or securing it. If you study it out, it means to actively lay hold of or to take it or to receive it or to aggressively accept it, it you know, but you've got to accept or initiate that. And so it's available to you, but you just have to go get it. Now, here's the, here's the deal. A lot of us come to church because we need some mercy. Not, not a bad idea. But do you understand that you can obtain mercy when you're not in a specific building labeled as a church? right? The mercy of God is obtainable. And so, the, you know, that, that idea that whenever I need some mercy from God, that I can just approach God and I can just get some. I, I wish money was like that. 
No? <laughs> I, I, my kids used to think that, right? Well, let's just go to the ATM, Dad, and get some. Well, we could get some if there was some, but there, well, it's full of money. Yeah, but it's not my money, honey. Uh, you know, they, they, right? kids don't understand that, right? And so here's the point about mercy, right? I, I love the fact that God's mercy is obtainable. I can just go in and secure it. But what about my mercy? Is it always available? What about your mercy, right? Is it there when somebody needs it? That, that, listen, that's, that's a rubber meets the road type of deal. Okay, that, that's, that's the hard part right there. Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan that mercy is showing love toward those that are in misery, right? You know, that, 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 that Good Samaritan, all, the, the, all of those other folks, they passed by on the other side of the road. They, they saw it, they felt it, but they didn't get involved. And so real mercy is an attitude that involves itself into the misery and the pain and the suffering of the neighbor. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about one of the reasons why the New Testament church in the 21st century is not growing like it did in the first century is that we don't involve ourselves. Hello? I'm talking about an attitude, a perspective. I've got a great perspective about me and my need of mercy, but I don't have the same perspective sometimes about you and your need of mercy. How many of you ever done that? I think I was talking to somebody this week, you know, about the homeless folks in our county. Our county. I remember driving by the guy, the, the guy at Walmart was there last summer, the summer before, whatever, and he's got a sign, we're homeless, and he's got his two kids out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm pulling over, and I'm just about ready to, to dra- grab one of those bills out of my wallet, and I see him pull out a, an iPhone. I'm like, wait a minute, that's a newer iPhone than I got. And I know what my iPhone costs. You can afford that, but you can't feed your kids. Right? And so my humanity says, okay, I'm not getting involved in that. And so that's the real real thing. So real mercy, it doesn't just feel for them. It becomes active. And so this is a difficult place for us, right? The, the NIV for 1 John 3, 17 says, if anyone's got material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? And so how do I know when I'm mature, when I'm willing to involve myself in the misery, the pain, and the suffering of somewhere else? Now, listen, I'm going to tell you, after 55 years on this earth, I've learned that it's best not to. You're trying to teach us, Brother Roberts, but you're telling, no, I'm, t- I'm trying to be transparent. There's some situations you look at and say, I'll pray for you because that's all I can do. Because it's difficult when you step into somebody's mess, you've stepped in something. Hello? Right? And, and it's difficult because the reality is that there are people around us that are suffering. They're in pain. They're in misery. They're held captive by sin. And we know the truth of God's word that will save them. But we want them to come where we're at. Hello, this is difficult, right? We want them to come where we're at and get involved in what we're doing so Jesus can save them. But Jesus said, go you into the highways and the byways and compel them get involved in their misery find out this this is a hard this is difficult okay lord can we skip this one and go on to the next beatitude 
rather not have a, to deal with, with this one so much, right? Because it's not always, because some of us have been burned by stepping in somebody's mess, right? You can't, you know, and it's difficult. But this is a perspective that we have got to grasp. Why? Because mercy is so counterintuitive to our culture. If, if I'm willing to get down in the muck and mire of someone else's situation, why? Because here's the thing. I've got to have mercy because I've been given mercy if I want some more mercy. And the person who's in the middle of pain and suffering and anguish and all of the, the destructiveness of life, the, the sin of humanity, they need what I have. They need what you have. But sometimes, to be honest, to be transparent, I'm just not willing to go that far. That's difficult, right? And, and so mercy, mercy is the thing that defies the us against them mentality. If we were willing to get into the pain that someone might, why? Because I've been burned. You've been burned. I tried to help them and it came back and bit me, right? You know, and that, that, that's what it is. And so mercy is possessing a forgiving spirit against those that sinned against us. I forgave them, I forgave them, and they did it again. I forgave them, and they did it again. And, I for, and, and our humanity, the natural tense of our humanity is, look, man, I'm done. I've gone as far as I can go. I don't, I'm just not willing to go any further. But Peter said, how many times, Lord, shall I forgive my brother if he sinned against me? And Jesus said, seven, you know, what? The, the point was, as many times as he does it. How many times has Jesus forgiven you for the same thing over and over and over and over again? But yet in my humanity. So wait a minute, God. I, I'm pretty good with you and me and mercy. We got a connection here. I believe that you're the God of mercy. I'm a man in need of mercy. But I'm not so sure I want to have that attitude that his mercy to every person. Let me bring some rubber to the road this morning. There's every person in this room has a political opinion. The world we live in today is politically fueled, and I'm not going to dig into politics, but I'm telling you, you can't hate somebody because they believe something different than you believe. They deserve our mercy because the principle is if I don't have mercy on them, God won't have mercy on me. It's a choice, and it's a choice. It really is. And so there's so much hate and discontent and so much turmoil in our world. Why? Because there's a wrong perspective about mercy. Everybody wants mercy, but most people are not willing to give mercy. And it's difficult. It really is difficult. It's going to take the power of God to forgive some people. Because I can't agree with everything everybody does, but I can't withhold my mercy. I've got to be able to go down and get into that misery and that pain. Sister Angelique, that hurts me to say that. Because the truth is in my humanity, I don't want to get in every situation. I don't want to get in the middle of the drama and the turmoil. and the, I don't want to. But the truth is, you know what? Jesus Christ said, you know what? He didn't sit back in eternity and say, I'm not going to get involved. No, no, no. He robed himself in flesh. Born of a, what? He was born of a virgin. He came and got himself involved in my pain, in my misery, in your pain, in your misery. And he's expecting us to do the same. That is a difficult life perspective. But can I tell you that you will not ever get to the place where you are a purveyor of mercy until you're poor in spirit. Remember, these are steps, right? You're not going to get there until you really have a mournful, sorrowful attitude over sin. Not just your sin, but the sin of the whole world. You're not going to get there. I'm not going to get there. You cannot get there. You cannot arrive at that place without a true spirit, an attitude of meekness, real humility. 
Because I'm telling you right now, my pride says, uh-uh, been there, done that. Now, listen, you got to be wise about this. I, I'm not telling you something counterintuitive here. I'm not telling you that if, if, if you were once an alcoholic, you need to go in the bar to save people. That's not what I'm trying to explain to you, right? You've got you to use some wisdom. But I'm telling you what, you can use what God has done and is doing in your life to help someone else who's going through the same situation, right? And, and so, it's so easy to come to church, you know what, and, and live for Jesus here, but not live for Jesus out in the community because it's mercy and it's difficult and it's hard. And it's never, never, ever, ever easy. A couple of points here I want to make. Jesus forgave them that were crucifying him. Right? Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah, I'm not there yet. They're crucifying me today. I'm going to have a difficult time saying, oh, God, don't hold this to their charge. Get them, God. Why? Because we still live in this humanity. How about Stephen, right? Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 60. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, right? Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And they were stoning him. He wasn't smoking a left-handed cigarette. They were throwing rocks at him for the purpose of killing him dead. And so mercy is difficult when we don't have the right attitudes, right? It is. It is. But I've got to be poor in spirit. I've got to be mournful. I've got to be meek. I've got to hunger and thirst, not for my righteousness, but for his righteousness, right? And that puts me into the place where I can be merciful. But I've got to have some place in my life where others can obtain mercy. I find that to be the most difficult thing. The thing that I love most about God is that mercy is obtainable. I've just got to go secure it. But when someone comes to you and they're in need of mercy, can they obtain it, or are you going to make them work for it? That's the hard part, isn't it? Listen, I'm telling you, we're going to get some deep stuff in here. I'm trying to dig deep. I'm trying to dig deep because, because this is where we live, and this is hard. This is not easy stuff, right? If, if this was easy, everybody would do it, but it's not. Because I, I've got to make sure that when people come to me with an offense, with a wound, with some misery, with some pain in their life, I've, I've said something, I've done something, they've said something, they've done something, that my mercy is as available as God's is. That's, that's tough. That's tough living right there, isn't it? Amen. Number six, quickly this morning, the challenge was to be pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Ask your neighbor, how's your heart? Some people say that it's more difficult to follow the Beatitudes than it is the Ten Commandments. This, this Beatitude here, the pure in heart, is a strong support for that argument. This one gets right to the heart of the matter. It addresses the attitude or the motive that lives behind my conduct. The words in heart connect this attitude to the first Beatitude where Jesus said, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. It indicates a specific type of purity, just like being poor in spirit didn't represent the material poor, but those that are pure, the materially pure, but the ones that had a, a, a poor spirit. But pure in heart is not referring to the ceremonially pure, but more so to the morally pure. It's addressing the person who has a pure motive. Now, this is difficult, right? We talked about mercy, having it attainable, being able to have it ready when someone needs it, right? But 
rather than just a checklist of behaviors, this beatitude emphasizes the importance of the motive of the heart. So God, God understands. God knows exactly what motivates you. God knows exactly what motivates me. Most of my motivation these days is on a 12-inch plate. Hello? Right? They used to they said that when I was a kid, right? The way to a, a man's heart is through his stomach. But here's what God knows that we sometimes deal with is he knows whether I'm acting out of a selfish intention or I'm behaving out of selfless love. He knows my sincerity. Am I trying to bring others close to him or am I trying to elevate myself in someone else's eyes? And so here's the point. If you want to know if you have a pure heart, you're going to have to question your motive on a regular basis. Now, the truth is this. We don't like our motives to be questioned. Right? If, when someone questions your motive, you naturally jump into defense mode. Hello? Those first four were a lot easier than these two, right? Right? Those were a lot more fun than this one. But I don't like someone challenging my motive. But the Bible says this in Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders or weighs the heart. You want to know how someone feels about something, just begin questioning their motive and their true feelings will come out. So this idea of blessing, completeness, and maturity means that I've got to check my own heart, right? Anybody ever said check your attitude, right? I, that, what they're saying is check your motive, right? And so this attitude of purity is defined by, by multiple commentators as a singleness of heart. And so, you know, it, what, what are you saying? I'm saying it, it's about honesty that has no hidden motive, no, no hidden agenda, and that there's no self-interest in it. It's true and open. And so the purity of heart describes people that go all the way and they're not halfway in. Now, this is difficult because in our world today, people look at marriage and they say, well, this one will work until the next one. That's not a pure heart. That, that, that's, that's the wrong perspective. That's the wrong attitude. Why? Because they're not in it to win it, right? They're in it until the next one comes along. And so this purity of heart, right, is a lukewarm attitude. Now, how many of you read the Bible and understand that Jesus hates everything that's lukewarm, right? It's like that lukewarm coffee. What do you do? You spit it back in the cup and dump the whole cup out, right? And, and so purity of heart is an attitude that consists of three specific things, sincerity, honesty, and the lack of hypocrisy. Those are tough, Brother Tim. Purity of heart is an attitude that consists of sincerity, honesty, and the lack of hypocrisy. The Beatitudes are addressing our perspective and our attitude towards God, towards self, and towards other. Am I sincere? Am I honest with God? Or is there some hypocrisy between me and God in our relationship? That's a tough question. I, I don't care who you are or where you're living. How about, how about myself? Am I sincere and honest with myself? Or is there some hypocritical tendencies in my thinking about myself? Okay? I told you this morning, I, I, we got the old shovel out. We're digging deep. I might get my, my PhD out and dig a post hole here so, so deep, right? How, how about my, my perspective about others? Am I sincere and honest when it comes to my relationship with other, other people? Or do I have some hypocrisy? 
Somebody said, man, I can't go to that church. That church is full of hypocrites. Right? And every church has got some hypocrites. I, th- I would go so far as to say every church is full of hypocrites. But don't stay home because you let the hypocrite get closer to God than you are. Every person who puts shoe leather on their feet in the morning has an element of hypocrisy in their life. When none of us are completely sincere and honest all the time, right? Except for Jesus Christ, no person has ever been that person. But this idea of being pure in heart is such a difficult attitude. Is that I get older, Brother James, I want to be more sincere. I want to be more open and more honest, and I want to lack more hypocrisy than I've had in the past. The truth is, I don't want you, Brother Junior, to think ill of me. I want you to think good of me. And so I don't want you to see my bad side. I don't want you to see when I get angry and that vein pops out. I, I, I'll show it if I'm preaching against sin and I got my, my preacher finger pointed at somebody, right? I'll show that, but I don't want you to see it when I'm mad at the guy in the grocery store. Or the, be honest, right? I mean, I got up this morning and shaved off two days of whiskers so you didn't see my scruffy face and I put on a nice suit of clothes and I took a shower, you're welcome. Because I want you to think really good of me. And I hope you did the same because I don't want to think ill of you, right? But the truth is there's an element. There's an element of hypocrisy in every single one of us. It's the truth. Come on, we, we all know how to talk the talk, but very few of us in every element walk the walk. That's the truth. But Jesus said, I want you to grasp this. Blessed are the pure in heart. They've got a focus, a singleness of heart. This is such a difficult place to get, but you will never get there without being poor in spirit and mourning and meek and humble, right? And having a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can't get there without having or portraying mercy and having that mercy available. When that happens, I began to step back from this and say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, help me out here. Help me understand. If my mercy is not available when somebody else needs it, then I'm being a hypocrite. That's hard. But I've been there. I've done that. I've got that T-shirt. might have more than one. And it's difficult to live this Christian life that way. Here's what the psalmist said, Psalms 24. And I felt the need this morning to tie this first promise. And I've gone through six of these now and not talked about the promises. We're going to get to that. But here's what he said. He said, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. There's that pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. The primary reference is to sincerity. The person that has a clean heart and a heart that does not lift their soul to vanity. Other translations say lift their soul to something that is false. They're so pure of heart that they're utterly and completely sincere. Listen, you need to understand this. That sincerity and purity are both requirements for coming in to the hill or that holy place of God. You, you, we, we can't achieve holiness without sincerity and purity, right? We, we, we can be sincere in our beliefs and our behavior, but without purity, we'll not be allowed into the presence of God. I, I, I'm out of time this morning, but here's the point. 
you can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincere and be wrong and still be wrong. Just because you're sincere does not mean you're right. But this idea of hypocrisy and deceit are so offensive to the heart. You know, you, you just don't understand. I, I'm not a bad person, but sometimes I just, I just struggle with fill in the blank. Anger, jealousy, pride, envy, right? I, I, I'm not a bad person. I just, I just sometimes struggle. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Sincerity. Who shall ascend? Who's going to make it into the presence of God? What, the, those that, what, that have clean hands and a pure heart. There, there's a, a morally pure. And so there's, what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about, it doesn't, you don't have to be perfect all the time, but my attitude toward God and towards myself and towards others. There are people that come into the house of God and they, they're, they're so negative towards themselves, right? Absolutely, you need to be poor in spirit. You cannot save yourself. But at the same time, you need to agree with God's opinion of you. God said, listen, you go back and read the book of Jeremiah. The thoughts that I have to you, they're not, they're not thoughts of pain and anger. They're, part, they're the thoughts of love and compassion. I'm here to help you. I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to encourage you. And so I've got to agree with God on that. I've got to have a sincerity between me and God about me. But I've also got to have that same sincerity about the rest of the world that I live in. If I say this name, and I know some people may love her, some people may hate her, but if I said her name this morning, she's the speaker of the house, some of you would just look, get that bad taste. But Jesus died for her, him, them, as much as he did me. And if I'm not careful, I can allow my opinion to be skewed. Do I agree? Probably not going to. But at the same time, mercy has to be available from me just like it is from God. Okay. Okay. All right, Lord, that's enough. I'm done, okay? But if I'm going to be pure in heart, I've got to be sincere and honest with myself about how I really feel about others. Not just some figure that I've only seen on TV, but the people that I interact with and live around on a daily basis. I'm out of time, but I've told you these are not easy. But they're perspectives. They're life perspectives that will change and alter the course that we live as the people of God. We'll spend some more time on this I, 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 because that purity of heart is such a difficult subject. David said, who shall ascend? Who's going to get there? Those that, are, that are, those that are clean and have a pure heart can come into the presence of God. So what, what was he saying? He said, Jesus said it this way, blessed are the pure in heart because they shall See God. So the connotation, the reason that I brought the promise into this one, and I'll leave you with this, is that if my heart's not pure, then I've got a skewed vision of God. And I don't want to have a skewed vision of God. I want to see him, right? Amen. Lift a hand with me this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that you presented to each one of us in the Beatitudes. Lord, I confess before you that my attitude is not always right, 
that it's not always consistent, Lord. But I pray that my heart, my mind, my spirit, God, help me to have obtainable mercy that when someone comes to me, God, that I'm not a punisher, but, Lord, that I am a giver, a provider of mercy, even as you've given me mercy. But, Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to us as the people of God about sincerity and honesty, Lord. Help us, God, to remove those elements of hypocrisy from our lives and our walk with you in Jesus' name. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.